I am appreciative of being here this morning and uh, to try to uh, do what I can to help convey whatever message the Lord has put on my mind. And my prayer is that Lord knows what's on your heart. I don't all always, and so he will bring the message that he knows that you stand in need of. Uh, in recent weeks, I've uh, traveled again. That's not anything new. But I've uh, been to uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas to see my sister. My sister Mary Beth has had some health problems in the last year. This time last year, she had a stroke right at the start of all this. And, of course, they locked down all the hospitals and all the assisted living facilities, so she's been on lockdown. And, and when she got out in July, she went home for a few days. And while she was there, she slipped on her, on her slick floor, slipped and fell and broke her hip. Which then she spent the next few months having surgery and getting that hip re re repaired and replaced. And then she was back into an assisted living so she could stay and protect herself. But she about went crazy because she didn't get to do what she normally does. She's always been pretty active and and works for the university there at Fort Smith, Arkansas. And so I, w I went up a couple of weeks ago to spend with her. And she went to church with me at Fort Smith. That's where Elder Steve Jackson is. Uh, the pastor and we had a good time and a good visit and talked and and uh, we're trying to help her do some planning for the future as uh, we all try to do from time to time and uh, so I, I'm going back this afternoon and I'm going to meet at Fort Smith again with my sister Mary Beth and her son Stephen his wife Sean a visit to try to help make sure that we kind of plan her her out where she's going to live what she's going to do. Uh, you know, with these these two changes in her life, having a stroke, and uh, she it, it's hurt her vision. She's still recovering from it well, and she's got excellent long-term vision. Short-term sometimes a problem. Brother Ken and I were talking this morning. My short and long-term is both a problem at times. But uh, she can't see well. She can see, but uh, with a stroke, everything doesn't line up, and so it's really hard. She's going to point at something, and she'll point at it here when it's actually over here. Her, her eyes don't line up, and except in the rear vision, but in the back, and that's getting better as time goes on, but it's hampered her and her ability to do a lot of the things, and especially so she, she, uh, her planning. If she wants Brother Steve and I to uh, meet with her, her son and her, her daughter Kathy, uh, we'll meet uh, probably tomorrow and, and try to work out some things for her. So that's doing. I ask you to pray for her, pray for me. Uh, about an eight or nine hour drive up there, so I'll go up there and then come back probably on Wednesday. She, uh, when she was there, she was uh, when she first went to Fort Smith in the 70s. She was just became an attorney and had left the attorney general's office and became the general counsel for the university there, University of Arkansas at Fort Smith. And uh, that was when Title IX was coming in and they had to uh, have uh, women's athletic programs the same number and kind uh, involvement as they did men's programs. So uh, all the men at the university, they just turned it over to her because they, they couldn't make a mistake of it and feel like they didn't be criticized politically and so they turned it over to her and so she ended up hiring nearly all the uh, women's coaches for all the athletic events and she's become very close with the volleyball coach who's won about three or four national championships uh, it was her first year to coach and Mary Beth hired her and so they remain close and uh, they're undefeated this season got a volleyball game Tuesday night so it's a big deal that uh, I'm taking Mary Beth to the volleyball game Tuesday night so she can see coach and all her old friends and so there's a lot of sentimental stuff in that, and so, but we've remained close. So, I would you'd uh, also pray for her as she goes forward. 
this is a time of year when it's one probably one of the most holy times of the year in the out in the world because it this is uh, the time we've we've already been through uh, uh, Ash Wednesday as they call it and we're in the middle of what people call Lent right now where they sacrifice give up something sacrifice it for the Lord uh, we'll be coming up on uh, Palm Sunday which is the last Sunday of this month uh, and then they have a Good Friday on the Friday right before Easter none of those of course are, are scriptural uh, observances or those are all man-made creations but then on uh first sunday in, in april we have easter which uh we do celebrate even though it's it's uh, originally a pagan holiday where they uh, worshiped uh, a goddess Esther and and uh, fertility and in which they wanted to ask the gods to bless their crops and their families so they grow and uh the easter bunny uh, came from rabbits because rabbits uh, grow rapidly and they the gestation period is short and they grow rapidly and then the symbol of life always is the Easter, is the egg so that's how we ended up with the Easter bunny delivering Easter eggs on that Sunday it has nothing to do with the resurrection which we need to be worshiping but I've written a little bit about all of this in the banner of love this month that you should be getting and so I won't go over that today but that's a time of year to remember now this is resurrection we'll be celebrating on Easter Sunday, which is first Sunday in April, but it's a, a celebration we ought to celebrate all the time, every day. We ought to think about it every day because Christ and Him crucified and He's dying on the cross and His resurrection is where all our hope is based. Like when we sang this song, you know, Christ the solid rock I stand. It's because of that, not because sometimes we get involved in all of these other holidays and observances and I'm not opposed to fasts and Lent's and, and those type of things and people actually uh, doing things but it needs to not be form it needs to be substance we don't need to do that and consider that a religious event it needs to come from your heart and we need to thank in Christ every day as it were alive um, so I won't cover that today but I do have something I noticed this morning we've got a lot of kids here this morning our kids almost match our congregation in number that's always a great sign and so I want to show you something I know in today's modern world uh, I, recently, I was going back through some of my old stuff. You tend to do that as you get older. You go back through and figure out what you can keep and what you can throw away and go match it up. And I found something from about 50 years ago that I had. I don't know if any of you have ever seen one of these or not. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to the kids. All the parents can go to sleep for a few minutes. Y'all can take a nap and go to sleep. What is that? No, it's not a compass. It's a a yo-yo. You know, we didn't have video games when I was a kid. We did uh, things like this. We had competitions when I was in fourth and fifth grade out on the playground where we would do yo-yos, you know, and you, you do it the faster you can go, the better you are, or if you can do a few things. And I used to do a whole lot more than I can do now. I hadn't done this in a long time. It's kind of like riding a bicycle, though. It comes back to you. But a yo-yo, the, the deal is that you get to go down fast and come back up. Now, tell me, after this yo-yo leaves my hand, I want you to tell me when it stops. Stop when it got back to my hand. You know, the yo-yo heads down, goes all the way to the bottom. When it comes back up, it stops at the bottom. Do you see it stop? It has to stop because it's going down, and then suddenly it's coming back up. So somewhere in there it has to stop. But the time it stops is pretty short, isn't it? You know, this is a lot like our lives. It's what the Lord tells us. It's our lives are a whole lot like this. When the Lord formed Adam, made Adam the very first man, he made him out of the 
soil is dirt. We're all made out of minerals and soil, stuff from the soil. We don't look like dirt. Sometimes I've looked like dirt, but we don't always look like dirt. I mean, we're, we're formed out of all the minerals just like the ground is. Formed out of those minerals, and that's the way the Lord formed Adam, the very first man. Go read the second chapter of Genesis in the, in the book early in the Bible, and it talks about he formed Adam out of the soil of the ground, and Adam was just a lifeless, dead body. I mean, there was nothing, you know, he had all the stuff inside him, had a heart and a brain, but none of it was working. And then it says, God breathed into Adam's nostrils. He breathed into him and gave him a breath of life and made him a living soul. That's how we become who we are and, and people we are, personalities, when God puts it inside us. He puts each one of us and, and gives us our own living soul. We all become different people. We're, that's how we get our personalities. God gives that to us when he makes us a living soul and gives us the ability to think and talk and feel things in our heart and, and, you know, and, and go to school and learn. We put it all up in our brain. All that's because God gave it to us. But when he, when he makes us, you are made and you're, you're just a lifeless form for a period of time. Even while you're still in your, your, your mother's tummy, uh, you're just a lifeless form until God puts, makes you a living soul. He's the one that he does it spiritually, but he breathes into your nostrils and makes you a living soul. <coughs> From that time forward, then you become a person, like we all know. And it's not this body that makes me who I am. I mean, that's what, when you see me, that's what you think of. I recognize all of you because of your physical body. But inside each one of you is a soul and a spirit. <coughs> you know, and, and, and you're individual in that way. That's And God puts that in you. And you know, when we die then, <coughs> We die, and we think about that, and we think, well, he, he's di died. His body's dead, and his soul's dead. And that's not true. And you hear that sometimes. The minute you die, remember, first thing the Lord did for you, once your body was starting to be made, he came down and put a soul inside you. When you die, the first thing he does is he claims that soul back, and it goes right back to heaven. <coughs> the minute you, that's why when we talk about when people die, they don't, they don't know what happens to them. All this, the old Baptist, the primitive Baptist church strongly believes that when you die, you close your eyes and immediately you're in heaven in the presence of your Lord, in the presence of Jesus. That's an important fact to remember. <coughs> the thing we have a hard time with is, you know, the minute I'm born, you know, that's been 70 some odd years ago for me, <coughs> a little longer than that, but 70 some years. And, you know, and it's passed fast. I think it's passed fast. It doesn't pass near as much, near as fast as we, we, uh, think it does though. I mean, it passes a lot faster than we think it does, and that's about this yo-yo. When think of this yo-yo is when it goes down, that's God putting His soul. Hey, he's bringing it down. He's taking his, your soul from heaven, putting it inside you, and then He claims it and brings it back up. Now, the length of our life here on Earth is the same length it takes for this yo-yo to stop and come back up. You think you said you'd live here seventy years? And that's true. I've lived here 70 plus years. But we're told in the Bible, our time here on earth is just a speck of the eternal life we'll have in heaven. Sometimes we think this is all there is. This is our life, you know. And, and, and But that's not what the Bible tells us is that when we go to heaven, we'll be there for tens of thousands of years. And we'll have perfect bodies. We won't worry about having, getting sick or, or something happening to them. When I was a, a kid... I lost three fingers when I was younger than most of you. I lost three and a half fingers on my hands. When I go to heaven, I'm going to get those fingers back. 
I'll come back with a perfect body when we get to go to heaven. Lord, get rid of all the pain you have, the, any troubles you have, if you uh, hurt yourself in any way. The Lord takes rid of all, gets rid of all of that when he takes you back to heaven. What I want to tell you is the time you have on earth, though, here is very, very short compared to the thousands and thousands of years that you're going to be in heaven. And that's what we have to remember. Sometimes we get caught up in the troubles and problems of this world. We all have troubles. We all think we got our troubles are worse than anybody else. We get caught up in that. But look, <coughs> the time that we're on this earth is the same time it takes that yogi to turn around and come back up. It's just a smattering. You know, we sing this song called Amazing Grace. And it says, the end of that says, when we've been there in heaven, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've only just begun. That's how long heaven's going to be. That's the important thing to remember. When you die, you don't die and you don't, you, you don't go into the ground. Your body does because that's where it came from. The Lord made you out of dirt, <coughs> made each one of us out of the ground, made Adam that way. And when we die, our body goes to the ground, but immediately when you die, who you are, your soul and your spirit goes back to heaven. Apostle Peter one time said in over in Second Peter about when I get rid of this tabernacle, he's talking about his body, but he's still talking. When I get rid of this tabernacle, then he's going to get to go to heaven. I get rid of this body, this old body that wears out, we get to go to heaven then, and that's where we get to spend 10,000 years plus, and that's a short period of time. What I wanted to emphasize with that yo-yo trick, we didn't have video games when I was a kid. We had to do yo-yos. We made a lot of model airplanes, uh, paper airplanes. I got caught in trouble in class too many times for making paper airplanes when I was supposed to be listening to the teachers. But our time here on earth, well, we think of it as long. I used to think Christmas was never going to get here. You know, I used to get to think I was never going to turn 16 so I could get my driver's license, and I was never going to turn 21. You know, all those things you think about are never going to get here. Now those are just fleeting moments. They're gone for me. And But the time I spend here, altogether, my 70-something years, is only like a matter of seconds to the Lord. We're going to get to spend thousands of years with him. What I want to talk to now is the adults. You kids can listen, but you, if you wake up your parents, we'll talk to them now. What I want to talk to them today is about life and death. You know, we have two great events in our life. One is when we're born, and one is when we die. And there's a lot of irony in those two events because we treat them different. They are different than the way we treat them. You know, when someone's born, we're happy. Now, the person being born is not happy. The child is crying. They come out of their mother's body, and the first thing they do, somebody pops them on the bottom, and they start crying. You know, and they don't like coming in. Of course, all of us around, when someone has a baby, we're excited, and we're happy, and we're glad. The baby's not excited. They've just left the best place they had inside their mother where they were being fed. <coughs> when you come in this world, then you've got to start doing work. You've got to figure out how you're going to eat and live. <coughs> but then when we die... It's exactly opposite of what we think. When we die, the person that's dying gets better because you go to heaven. Apostle Paul tells us to live as Christ, but when you die, you gain. You get better because heaven is a perfect place. Your body will become perfect. You won't age anymore. You'll live forever, and it's a wonderful place to be. <coughs> There's many of us in this room and older now that are probably closer to death than many of you. We don't. None of us know when death's going to come, but many of us older are closer to death. And so you start thinking about it. Death is a strange thing. You know, the person that actually, when he dies, he's better off. But going through that period of time leading up to death 
is a little scary. None of us wants to die, and the Lord gives us an incentive to live, and he makes that one of the Ten Commandments. One of the blessings, if we honor our mother and father, he gives us, they'll increase our days on the earth. You know, we like that. I like the sound of that. I don't want to die. I want to be here with everybody I know, even though in reading this book I know that it's a lot better when I do die. But the Lord gives, he knows who we are. He knows that we don't want to die. And so it's important that we look at what he tells us about death in the Bible, not to be afraid of it, not to be afraid of it because it is better, because heaven is better. He tells us not to be afraid of it, but still it's hard not to be afraid of death. It's a little scary. It's a little unknown. I know when I read the Bible and I have faith in the Bible, I know it's going to be better. But my natural instinct says I'm, I'm a little afraid of dying. I don't know what that's going to be, especially if I have to go through any kind of a pain or treatment or thing like that. It's a little scary. In the last year, you know, with this problem of COVID that we've talked about, we've seen a lot of people that have passed away, probably ahead of when they normally would. And it's been tough on them and the families because they, they were isolated. So a lot of them had to die alone without having anybody around them. Uh, and, and that's the scary thing about dying. Uh, you know, people go to the hospital every day. Uh, a lot of people older do. And I've been with somebody in this situation where they go and the doctor says, I'm sorry, but your time is limited. You're probably going to die. And one of the questions that you ask is, well, Doctor, how long do I have? And they may tell you, you know, you, you have one or two days or two months or two years, a few years, and that's pretty dramatic when it hits you. What would you do if you were told you only had a short time to live? That's what I want you to think about this morning. What would you do? <coughs> you know, if I told you I was going to die in 48 hours, what would I do, or one week? What would I do? How would that change the way I act and think you know will I get mad will I get bitter will I get grievous will I decide I'm the first time in my life I'm gonna go out and get drunk and just don't care what do you do if you were told you were going to die and this can happen to any of us at any time you know sometimes we're young hopefully you're older but what do you do you know do you if you depressed do you get bitter do you go into a self-pity party you hide yourself I'm gonna say leave me alone and just let me die what do you do? It's important you understand what the Bible teaches us, and then you understand why Elder S. A. Payne wrote the song, Oh, How Sweet to Die. This is an old man that understood as a minister in the Baptist church that understood this Bible, and he said, Dying is a sweet time. That goes against what we think normally, doesn't it? That goes against how we believe, because we just, I'm going, I don't, I don't know if I would die. I don't know what I'd do. You know, I. I'm, I'm going to be worried. I'm going to have pitying about myself. Well, what do we do? We're afraid of death. It's kind of dark and scary and unknown. So what would what would we do? You know, the one of the best uh, examples that I've seen in the world, and I've seen it on a lot of bumper stickers on cars around, it says, uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, you think, well, that's not a bad example to look up, is it? Jesus is the one who tells us after you die, you get better because you're going to be in heaven. You'll be in heaven immediately upon death. Not a wait. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go somewhere and wait around. The minute you close your eyes in death, you end up in heaven. So I know in two days, I'm going to die. I know from reading the book that it's going to be a good thing. But what do I do in the meantime? I, I don't want to die. I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave my kids and my, 
spouse and relatives. I don't want to leave them, so what do we do? Getting in John chapter 13 at the first verse, it says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, and we just had we just got the Passover coming up the last Sunday of this month. It's when the traditional Passover is, and so we're at about this time of year that Christ was in, involved with this. At the feast of the Passover, and that was about two days before he died. From the time of the Passover, he had about two days before he died. And this this chapter 13 here of John is, is actually... Uh, two days, starts two days before, one day before the Passover, two days before he died. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart from this world. Jesus knew he was going to die in 48 hours. What would you do if you were told that? What do you do? Well, let's look and see what Jesus did. It's a great example to follow. Of what he did, you know, it's, it's dramatic. It, it, dying is dramatic. We always hear about dying, and the things that are associated with it. You know, we give prisoners their last meal, give them a good meal to die on. That's really kind of crazy, but that's what we do. We give people a good meal to die on. It's going to go to waste, is my thought. But give them a chance to enjoy it. We we put uh, uh, a lot of faith in people's dying words because that's when they're supposed to say something really wise. I'm so afraid I'm going to say something really dumb at the time. I'm liable to tell a joke or something, you know, say something really dumb. I remember going to my grandfather. Uh, we had just moved to Anton. My grandfather owned the newspaper there, and he was knew, we all knew he was going to die. And he turned it over to my dad, and so we moved to Anton then and had the paper. And he called in his grandsons, my grandfather Richard, Hard Richard. And that would be as Charles and my cousin Jim Hale. And myself, Larry hadn't been born yet. And so we went, and I was about four years old, maybe a little under four years old. I remember going to my grandfather's bedside. And it was a pretty big deal to me, big dramatic deal. I can remember, I still can picture that. And he, he didn't have it a lot, but he just said, I want you boys to be good boys. I remember that line very clearly. I'm sure he talked to us other things, but I just remember that line. It's not anything fancy, but it had a big impact on me. And I'll, I'll think of those every now and then. I hadn't always followed that advice. But I think about that from time to time. I want to ask you this morning to think about this. You know, I may leave here and get killed in a car wreck on the way to Fort Smith. I don't plan on it and don't hope to. But I always need to think about what would happen if we knew we were going to pass away. What would Jesus do? Let's go to John chapter 13 and let's see what Jesus did. He knew he was going to die. First thing he did, he had supper with his friends. He communed with them and dined with them. It's a good example to follow. He communed and dined with them, ate supper with them. I'm sure he had to talk a lot of things. I thought this is a good example. If I knew I was going to die, I want to get together with my friends. I want to talk to them. And there's a good advice in here about I'm not going to say I'm going to die. You all feel sorry for me and let us all cry together. That's not what I want. And I don't think that's what Jesus says. He gets together and communes with them. He's not only that, he turns in and we have this wonderful example. Of he washed their feet. He served people. He took time. He wasn't worried about his death. He wasn't crying over it. He wasn't uh, <coughs> afraid of it. <coughs> he said, I want to serve my friends. I want to take care of my friends. We know the dramatic impact that had on his friends, and he tells us even today to do it, to do it today because... Uh, 
in doing it today, he says, If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. In verse 17, And if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. He served his fellow man. He communed with them. They had church service, and he communed with them. One of the last things he did before he passed away. He's given us some good examples here. You go on in here, and then we're going to read a little bit, look at these few things. I, I encourage you to read John 13, 14, and 15, all the way up through chapter 17, because this is what he did in the last two days before he died. Some wonderful examples in there. He gave them a new commandment. Verse, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know ye, that you are my examples, if you have love one to the other. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't mad. I'm going to go along, go off and be by myself. He met with his friends and says, I want you to love each other. You don't really have any idea what impact your words are going to have on the people around you and your family until you get in a situation like this with your family maybe. I'm a big believer in saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be gone in two days. And I'm not sad. I'm not happy about it. I want you to be happy for me. But Because and, and, that's what we read about. It is. It's a good time to be happy. Exactly. It's a definite irony from the way we take things. But to be happy about it. But he called them around, had, had a meal with them, and he encouraged them. He still waited on them, took care of them. And he told them, number one, I want you to all love one another. He told them all, I want you to uh, not let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He talked about, I will come, told him, I will come back, and you need to tell your kids that. I'll see you again. As we sang in the song a while ago, I'm going there to see my mother who said she'll be there to greet me. And that poor way thing, stranger. Let them know you'll see them again. Over here in verse 14, he, shall, he tells them, I'm going away, but there'll be somebody else to come and comfort you through the Holy Spirit. He gave them comfort and reassurance that you're not going to be alone. Especially young children, when, when the parents are dying or something, they need the reassurance that everything's going to be okay. That's a big deal that you can do and, and give to them. He preached to them, and I'll skip through some of this, but he gave the commandment again over here in, in chapter 15 about this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. But over in chapter 17, it says Christ went into the garden and he prayed for all those people that what we call his elect, for all his children, all the children of God. He prayed for them. Well, if they're his children, we know they're going to heaven. They're already heaven bound. Why did he need to pray for them? He prayed for the Father to take care of them. He prayed that they could uh, would be able to avoid temptation. He has wonderful prayers. It's, it's repeated in, in, uh, in Matthew 25, 26, along in there. It's also in chapter 17 of John. He, he uh, prayed to the Father. He said, the Father... Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory that I had when I was in the that I had with thee before the world was. World was. He said, I have manifested thy name unto men. If I get ready to die, can I say that, Lord? I've done what I've done the best I could to manifest your name, to make to glorify you. I've done the best I could to tell people my faith and my belief in you. Your words have great weight at that time in your life when you know. You're about to go. So it's important you do what you can to pass it along. Uh, 
Verse 26, at the end in chapter 17, when he was praying, he said, I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it with the love wherewith thou hast loved me, may be in them, and I in them. He prayed uh, for his people, even after his death, that they would be well off and do well. You know, these were the last 48 hours of Christ. His first thoughts turned to taking care of the people around him, praying to the Father, worshiping him, and serving everybody around him, giving them assurances, comforting them, uh, giving them cares. Now, think about what happened to Christ in his last 48 hours. His thoughts were on everybody around him. But what happened to them? He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was abandoned by his apostles. He was betrayed by one of his key apostles, Judas. He was denied three times by probably one of his most beloved apostles, Peter. He was brought before the government and had five trials. You know, uh, one before each one of the high priests, one before the Sanhedrin, one before King Herod, and one before King Pilate. <laughs> he had five trials. He had false witnesses testify against him. He was found innocent, and yet he was sentenced to death. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was made fun of. He was mocked. He, he was sentenced to, sentenced to death. And he hadn't done anything, and they didn't prove any evidence against him. He had to bury his own cross, had to carry his own cross out to the burial ground where he, was, where he had to be put up on the cross. He was then nailed to the cross, the nails through his hands and his feet. I, I can't imagine that, the torture he went through. They brutalized him. They flogged him with, with not only just a, a strap, like you know, many times we talk about as kids getting a whipping from our parents with their belt buckle or something like that. They had leather that had the metal strips at the end of it that tore the skin when it hit you. That was flogging. He suffered a tremendous amount. He was nailed to the cross. He was put on the cross and left to hang there. He was tortured and made fun of, and they took a sword and pierced his side yet to try to get him to die. Uh, he was forced to wear a, a crown of thorns and, and be mocked. He was, he was put not in a position of honor, but he was put between two thieves. His very life earlier had been swapped for a murderer called Barabbas. His life had been swapped for them. Uh, the people, the mob turned against him. All the people that he knew were his were turned against him. And he was tortured. They took his clothes and divided them and made, uh, um, made, made fun of him and, and treated him like a, 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 uh, a, a some kind of a, an animal that you would take and divide up their clothes among themselves and gamble them among themselves. <coughs> he had that in his last 48 hours, and yet everything that he did that he had control of, he did for the people around him, and he provided them assurances to take care of themselves. He had the opportunity, and he said, if I wanted, I could bring in, I believe, tw uh, 12 legions of angels. A legion in, a, in, a, in a, the Roman army was about 6,000 men. So 6,000 times 12, that's over 70,000 angels he could have brought in. And we've seen, you know, there's examples in the Bible where one angel could destroy an entire city. He brought in seven, he could have 70,000 angels there, but he didn't. He chose to let himself be killed for your benefit, for your behalf. He did it for you. There are a couple other examples. I'll skip a couple of those because it's a repeating of the same thing. Let me go over here to Luke. Luke 
One of the things he did, he back there in John in 17 through 14, he departed wisdom upon them. He gave them assurances, told them he loved them, and told them he wanted to love each other. Two good examples of this. You know, one of the things that we should do, and none of us do it enough of, is you should let your friends, relatives, and family members know how you feel about them. We're really bad about not, I'm bad myself about not telling somebody I love them and how much I love them. I'm bad about not telling my friends, here's the things that I think about you that are good. You give them assurances. You write someone a letter. You, you write a friend a letter and you tell them what you think about them. I and even if you don't want to give it to them now, put it among your will or among your important deals so it will be given to them after you die. Those letters will be kept forever. There's a few things we get and we keep, and we don't write anymore. I think writing, especially at this time, is very important in your own handwriting. I've got one thing in my mother's handwriting, and it's a chocolate chip cookie dough recipe, but I've got it framed and on the wall because it's the only thing I have in my mother's handwriting. Write them a letter. Tell them how much you love them. Give them assurances everything's going to be okay. I'll be, I'll, I'll be looking for you. I'll be watching you, whatever you want to say, to provide comfort to others. That will greatly give you peace themselves. You'll die knowing I have, as they tell you, you know, it's time to get your affairs in order. One of the affairs you ought to have in order is taking care of the people around you. And that's what Jesus told us is, I know you're one of my disciples when you love one another. But he had <coughs> some of the most famous words for Christ is when he was dying. Some of the most quoted words in the Bible are when he, at the time of his death. In Luke chapter 23, Verse 34 is probably the most famous last words in history. Jesus said this when he was hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them. He forgave a lot of people that day. There's a lot of people that were probably, many of them children of God, believed in God, didn't believe in him at the time, but he was tortured and murdered, and he asked the Father to forgive them. If the Father did forgive them, you know that he, they're, they're all going to heaven. There's a lot of people that are Roman soldiers. I'm afraid that if I'd have been there that day, back in that time, I might have been one of those soldiers who helped crucify him. I'm worried that I might have been part of the mob you know, that went after him because just the way, that seems to be the way we act today is we'd rather be part of the mob and part of the protesters than part of trying to solve the problem. After all that, after all that betrayal and torture and all those things that he went through, his one, some of his last words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You got anybody you need to forgive? Is there anybody that you had troubles with? It's a good time to write them a letter as you, as you, as you get ready to do. I, I, I've, I've tried to be good about this myself. I've tried to put some notes in, in writing on my little computer, my laptop, so my kids would know there's lots of good stories that your kids ought to know about you. Stuff that is insignificant, but I look back now and I put it in and I have my children say, I didn't know you and mom did that. I didn't know y'all were involved this way. You got a little bit of a life story. And it's not something that's going to be made a movie out of, but your children will enjoy it and love it. You know, I remember Brother George used to tell us stories about when he and Sister Janie first got married and and coming to church and things, and they were good stories, and they were funny stories. You know, and I thought, George, you need to record those down for your children. And that's what we all need to do. We need to record those things down. You need to tell people. You need to give them assurances. You need to tell them of your belief in the Lord. The exact examples 
that Jesus did. What did Jesus do? You got it. You don't have to wonder what it is. You've got it in writing here. And one of the last biggest things he did, and this is an emphasis throughout New Testament, the Lord said, forgive them. Forgiveness. He was big on forgiveness. Forgive them. Forgiveness, forgiveness takes away a lot of sins. And also in, in Luke chapter 23, and he's... Uh, as he was hanging on the cross, he, had, he was there between two thieves. One of the last acts that he did, he forgave a thief on the cross that had earlier made fun of him and, and mocked him. But uh, uh, you could see the thief on the, one of the thieves on the cross changed his mind. And uh, he said, he told Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shall, be, shall thou be with me in paradise. Today. If you don't have it, you don't go someplace. The minute you die, you end up paradise. That's one of the verses that we quote saying that when you die, you immediately go to heaven. I want to close this going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Did death control Christ? You know, many times you get to thinking about death and death controls people. You get scared of it and you get afraid and you do everything you can to keep alive. There's sometimes when we ought to think, no, it's time for me to go. Uh, <clears throat> my lifestyle's changed. I don't enjoy life anymore. Sometimes when, uh, you know, I, I've seen people close to me go through the, a lot of, of experimental and, and strange medical treatments and strong medical treatments, and it just deteriorates, makes their quality of life shorter. And then they, they're, not, they're not in good enough health enough to talk to people. Sometimes, and this is your decision, sometimes you need to think, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I just get me out of pain and I don't want to spend a lot of time because my, I want my quality of life to be good for these last remaining days, weeks, months that I have with my family. And do like Christ did, spend time with your family. <coughs> Say bye to them when you can laugh about it. And you can tell them, now when I'm gone, I want to make sure you don't, you, you still carry out the trash for your mother. You know, you can tell them those things that are funny. But those are the conversations, those are the assurances those are the things like Christ did that we remember. It's important to us and good examples. That's the things that your family can focus on. That's the thing they can, take, they can learn from because you're teaching them and you're giving them wisdom. Simple wisdom. My grandfather saying, I want you to be good boys. I have, I've never forgotten that. And see, now that's 70-something years, almost 70 years ago that I heard that. I've never forgotten it and don't forget about it. You can do that too. Write them letters is even more important because then if you don't get to talk to them, <coughs> but he tells us what happens then when we die. This is why it's good sometimes. You're supposed to live here. And if you're alive, the Lord's got a job for you to do. If you're alive and here today, there's, a, there's some job you need to be doing. It changes from the time you're 19 to the time you're 60 or 70 or 80. But if you're here, the Lord has a job for you to do, to live as Christ. And we ought to be doing what we can for Christ. You should have a job in the church. There's something you can do. There's something you can do as good or better than anybody else. And we need to, each of us needs to figure out what that is and do it. Because in that, the Lord will give us a great blessing. But then when it's time to die, <coughs> we need to be ready for that and think about that ahead of time. We shouldn't be afraid of it. <coughs> I'm not, I don't want death, but I'm not afraid of it because I know, uh, you know that, that we'll live again. One of Brother Kenny's favorite verses is out of Job. If a man die, shall he live again? We know the answer to that is yes, absolutely. We will live again, so we've got a lot of positive things to look forward to, and that's what we should be doing in those days. 
but we leave people behind us here that we need to take care of. In Corinthians, some of the things you can tell them, uh, tell your friends if you understand it, and that's why it's important to throw the Bible, study the Bible. Corinthians chapter 15, beginning, I'll skip through this, uh, beginning in verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? And he goes here and he talks about the body. As long as you're here on earth, your body is a corrupt body. It's an earthly body. It's a corrupt body. The minute you're born, you start aging. The minute you're born, you start moving toward death. He lets us know here, though, that when we die, our bodies become perfect. Our bodies are restored. And we know that even when we die, we immediately go to heaven. Our soul does. But at the end of time, when the Lord comes back, he's going to raise your body out of the ground. He's going to pull it out of the ground. He's going to bring your soul with him from heaven. And he's going to combine them together. And you will then have a perfect body. You will, as he says up here, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're going to be changed and have a perfect body. He says, With the resurrection of the dead, your body is sown in corruption. You've got a body that dies and aches and has pain, but it'll be raised in incorruption. You will have a perfect body. It is sown in dishonor. We all sin, but it is raised in glory. You'll be perfect then. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. He goes on and tells us, and this is the key. He said, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. When you die, you will become perfect. And this mortal must put on immortality. What you, when you die, you're going to be immortal after death. You'll live forever. 10,000 years is going to be a short time in heaven. But when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put, have put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. This is an important point. What he's telling us. You don't die. Your body does. Your body quits working and it dies, but you don't. Your mind, your brain, your heart is still alive. That's what he's telling us. Death is swallowed up because you, you're, you're victorious over it. I didn't die. I went to a more perfect place. Now, I left all my family and friends, but they'll join me later. But I go to a more perfect place. And he says this, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The grave is not victorious. Death doesn't have the sting that we're so afraid of because we're going to live past death. And that's what Christ is telling us. That's what Apostle Paul is telling us. The sting of death is sin, but the, and, uh, and the strength of of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Be ye steadfast. You need to read the book and come to church and study and pray so you can be steadfast in your belief, steadfast in knowing that I'm better off. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Christ did not let death control him, and we shouldn't either. There's a blessing in death. Not that we should try to die early, earlier than we're supposed to, but there's a real blessing in death that the Lord gives us about. And he gives us, if you want to know what to do, you can go read John, especially those John 13 through 17. See what Jesus did. That's a great pattern for how we should do when it comes to the end of our life. I, we should be preparing for that. I'm not expecting to die but I don't want to leave without having done the things that I need to do for my family and friends. You've been kind with your attention. My prayer is, Lord, to richly bless each one of you.